What is not Amazing Spider-Man? 320 This is my brother's comic. The thing about this comic is it's not just the story. Hello out there. I hope you're doing well. My name is John Garrett, uh, JG for short, and welcome to the first episode of Non-Outrage Comics. So, what is Non-Outrage Comics? Since this is the first episode, the first podcast, I'm just going to explain a little bit about what I want this to be. I think if you're into comics, you probably realize that the medium, the, the genre, the whole industry has become polarized over the last five, six years, probably more, with uh, every comic that comes out is picked apart for its politics, and each side is calling the other fascists, and it's very angry and very negative. And that's something that I just didn't want to deal with anymore. I want to talk about the comics. I love comics. I make comics. I'm an artist and, and writer. And, um, you know, it's just something that I look forward to every week, but not the negativity. So here, we're going to talk about things, not that I wouldn't be critical, but I'm not going to be out for blood like some of these guys are. So so here we're going we're gonna to be a little bit easier, a little bit easier and a little bit more fun in the spirit of what these things are meant for. Okay, so today, for the very first episode, I wanted it to be something special, but I couldn't decide. So, to that end, I had someone else pick the first comic I'm going to talk about. And here's the thing. I just pulled out one of my long boxes. I had a bunch of comics. They weren't in order because I had moved. I just threw them into a bunch of boxes. And she just reached in and grabbed one. And that comic happened to be Amazing Spider-Man 328 from back in 1989, 1990. And this is the one where... The Hulk, Grey Hulk, appears and fights Spider-Man. And on the cover, it says, now who's the strongest one there is? If possible, I'll leave a link. Hopefully you can get that cover. You might know what I'm talking about. Either way, Amazing Spider-Man 328. So, another thing to discuss here in this podcast, I am going to be doing spoilers as much as I can remember. I'm trying to just kind of go off the top of my head here and kind of remember my thoughts, my feelings about this comic at the time when it came out. So I'm not going to um, try to hide any of the, you know, the the spoiler events or the, the reasons. I'm just going to get into it. Now, normally when the Hulk shows up, it would just be Green Hulk. He would just wander into town. It would be a big mistake. Okay, what's going on? Now we have to fight the Hulk for some reason and settle him down and try to calm him down and without hurting people. Well, that's not the case with this particular Hulk because back then, like I said, it was the Gray Hulk. And if, if you are a comic nerd like me, you know when the Hulk first appeared, he was gray, not green. He was, he was intelligent and also kind of mean. It was really kind of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde sort of a thing. He didn't turn green until several issues into the run. And um, I think that might have been for coloring issues, for technical color issues. But the point here is that over in the Hulk, there had been a situation where Banner had been separated from the Hulk. Um, long story short, they had to 
reintegrate Banner and Hulk to save both of their lives. But at the time, the leader, Hulk's longtime enemy, he needed to leech some of that gamma energy into himself to restore himself to what he used to be. And so he leached a little bit too much. And so instead of the Hulk turning back green, instead, he became gray. And this gray Hulk, while more intelligent, was less powerful than the green Hulk. He didn't get stronger the angrier he got. But, I mean, he's still pretty darn strong. And so um, that Hulk became sort of a Las Vegas fixer. And he became known as Joe Fix-It. And he was very, again, he was very mean. He was vicious and likely to hurt people just to hurt him. And so to that end, we bring in another character. We're not talking about Spider-Man yet. Another character named Sebastian Shaw. And Sebastian Shaw was a longtime X-Men enemy. This is a mutant member of the Hellfire Club. And I don't know where we saw the Hellfire Club, if at all. The the, the White Queen, I think, in X-Men First Class. Uh, yeah, yeah, we saw Shaw in X-Men First Class, the movie. So that's who that is. Anyway, uh, Sebastian Shaw was recently ousted from the Hellfire Club. And he needed to rebuild his power base. And as such, he was approached by a cabal of people who asked him or tasked him, I should say, to eliminating Spider-Man. And he took the job, mostly because he wanted to, I mean, he wanted to rebuild his power base, but it turned out that Magneto was one of those people who asked him or, or told him to do this, and he wanted to displace Magneto in this cabal of people because Magneto was now in the Hellfire Club, displacing him. Uh, Magneto was the White King. Whereas Sebastian Shaw used to be the Black King. Okay. And now this brings us to yet another event that was happening. So we had this going on in the Hulk's life. And why were these people trying to eliminate Spider-Man? Well, the reason was there was an Avengers event happening. And because of this Avengers event, it was happening across the Marvel line. And it was called Acts of Vengeance. And if you see this cover, you'll see a little blue corner stripe in the top. It says Acts of Vengeance. So every Marvel comic was tagged with this Acts of Vengeance. And what it was, was that the villains kind of moved around. They kind of switched partners. Like, okay, if the Fantastic Four was used to fighting Doctor Doom, well, Doctor Doom is going to go and fight, you know, I don't know, Daredevil. Or somebody, they're, they're just going to switch partners and try to try to catch people by surprise, catch these heroes um, by surprise with, with powers and people they're not used to dealing with. And then finally, let's get back to Spider-Man. So why was it important to take out Spider-Man? I mean, Spider-Man, he's a hero, he's a good guy, he's, he's pretty tough. But why is he on the radar of these people who included Magneto? Um the Red Skull, the Kingpin, who of course hates Spider-Man, but not that much. And um, the Wizard, I think, was part of it as well. But the point was, at this particular time in Spider-Man's history, this is the period that was called the Cosmic Spidey period. Where Spider-Man 
received these amazing cosmic powers. And by cosmic powers, I mean he's flying out in space. He can fly. He can shoot these energy blasts. And he was just incredibly strong, impossibly strong. He could just make things happen, you know, rearrange the molecular structure of things. And uh, this became very worrying to this cabal of bad guys. And so, you know, how did Spider-Man get these powers? Well, we come to find out later. At this particular point, Spider-Man does not know why he has these powers. But in Marvel Universe, um, I don't know, the lexicon or the, the mythology, there is a force that once in a while it, it acts on certain people when it needs them to be a hero. It's called the Captain Universe. Oh, actually, I don't think it's the power is called that, but you become a hero called Captain Universe who has this power. It could happen to anyone. And over the years, over the history, it just it comes down on a random person. And then they become Captain Universe. They take out whatever uh, serious threat there is, and then they go back to being whoever they are. Well, this time, the Captain Universe abilities came down on Spider-Man. But usually, you have some awareness of why you have these abilities. Something happened. I don't quite remember exactly what happened, but he might have been part of an experiment that blocked him from getting the, the necessary awareness and knowledge of how to use these abilities. So he was kind of in the dark. And he was using the abilities. This became threatening to this cabal of villains. So they sent out the word, bringing in Sebastian Shaw, who then, to bring this to a, <laughs> bring this all the way full circle, he went to the Grey Hulk and told him, hey, I've got money. I need you to take out Spider-Man. And when we look at this issue, this particular Hulk, he's like, wait, how much money? Hey, I have really nothing against Spider-Man, but if you're paying me this much money, I'm going and I'm going to kill this guy. So he goes to New York. However, there's only one problem. The Gray Hulk, if we remember our Hulk history from back in the very beginning, he only changed at night. He did not change when, when Banner became angry. That had nothing to do with it. So, only at night would he be the Hulk. During the day, he was Banner, and there was nothing to be done about that. Until later. So, he gets there. He attacks Spider-Man. Shaw doesn't really tell him that Spider-Man has these cosmic powers. So, Hulk is like, I think this guy is stronger than he used to be. So, Spider-Man is essentially punching him out. And then Hulk starts to turn back into Banner. And he's like, I got to get out of here. So he so he leaves, takes off and says, Spider-Man, meet me here or else, you know, I'm going to take it out on the city or whatever. And Spider-Man, not knowing why the Hulk is coming after him, he realizes he, he has to meet him because otherwise he's going to, you know, tear up the whole city and people are going to get hurt. So the bottom line is that he he meets the Hulk beats the crap out of him, essentially just beats crap out of him, punches him into orbits, and then even has to go rescue the Hulk because the Hulk is going to turn back into Banner in orbit and die. So he brings him back. He flies up there, brings him back. Hulk is ungrateful and is like, okay, I'm going to let you live, even though he didn't have a chance in hell of killing Spider-Man. He just takes off and leaving Spider-Man in a really 
not knowing what's going on, but he's, he's starting to get pissed because he's being attacked. I think Magneto attacked him earlier. If I recall correctly, Magneto thought he might have been a latent mutant. Maybe some mutation was happening to him, and he became interested. But then he realized that Spider-Man just had too many powers, and normally mutations don't work that way. So he left him alone, but they still wanted him gone. And then now this has failed, but Sebastian Shaw wasn't done yet. And if I recall correctly, I think Sebastian Shaw's Sentinels had something to do with why Spider-Man had the Captain Universe power in the first darn place. But um, honestly, it's just kind of weird looking through this comic. And I see Spider-Man is with Mary Jane here. Peter Parker's with Mary Jane. And um, I don't remember at this particular point if they were married yet. I think they were married, though. And that whole relationship lasted until, what, 2006, seven. When did that last till? Uh, in the, the infamous One More Day, which dissolved their marriage by a demon. You know, it was, it was crazy. But anyway, I was never a fan of the marriage. Never a fan. And, you know, the, the comics got kind of boring to me. And I kind of checked out a lot of the time. But things like this were very interesting to me. I always loved when there'd be a weird crossover and someone would dip into Spider-Man's comic for a little bit and then dip out. But one thing to say about this, when I look at the cover, it says the non-mutant hero or non-mutant something on here. It's kind of messed up because Hulk is destroying this. But I think at the time, it's kind of weird how they really were uh, second fiddle to the X-Men. X-Men were just completely dominant throughout that whole decade. And it took it took really until the new Avengers before Avengers started to kind of become worthwhile again and really start taking over. But I think Spider-Man was always a distant second to the X-Books. And I think they just wanted to put that on there. Hey, this guy's not a mutant, which we all knew. I don't know who didn't know that, but maybe it helped at some point. Anyway, there's more about this comic. The thing about this comic is it's not just the story. When I'm remembering what happened with this comic, this was the year that I went to college. Yes, I'm that old. I, I went out to my first year of college, 1990, and there was a time I didn't have money for these comics anymore. So we were getting close to the end of me regularly collecting comics. It, it didn't really pick up again till I got out of college in the mid late nineties. And I started really collecting again, but there was like those four years where I just didn't have a spare dime for a comic and the, and the prices were going up. And this, the price on this cover is $1 and it says one twenty five Canadian. Now $1 when I started collecting comics, they were 60 cents. And I remember my dad was furious. Why are these things 60 cents? These used to be a nickel, is what he said to me. He was very angry that it was 60 cents. And I thought, I was like, wow, I thought that was a pretty good price. But then they started creeping up, you know, 65, 70 cents, 75 cents. All of a sudden it was 85 cents. Then they, they hung out at 95 cents for a hot minute. Then they just said, screw it, a dollar. And boy, 
you know, obviously it didn't stop there. These things, I mean, you can be paying four ninety nine easy for one of these now. But even more, um, yeah, so that was my college year. This amazing Spider-Man, this isn't even my comic. This is my brother's comic. Because back in the day, me and my brother, we, my younger brother, we, we collected these comics. And I think out of some sense of competition or, you know, how brothers are, we, we didn't want to have the same thing. It wasn't so we could get the most stuff. We just wanted to lay claim to something. And so just on a whim, I mean, he picked Amazing Spider-Man and I picked the companion comic that was called Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Now, the issue with this is Amazing Spider-Man, this book is the canon book where the important stuff happens. Every, anything that contradicts Amazing Spider-Man is not true. Like, like if he did something in Amazing and then in, in my book, in Peter Parker, he did the opposite. Well, Peter Parker, the, what happened in my book could not be true. They would just say, okay, ignore that. You get a Marvel no prize for that one. Which was Marvel's way of, of admitting that they made a mistake. So I didn't notice at the time, but I quickly realized that as, as I'm reading these comics, and I realized the stories were just a little bit smaller in Peter Parker. In Amazing Spider-Man, the big stuff happened. And I began to be annoyed by that. And it's like, man, I really wish I would have picked Amazing. But now, I mean, that was like a, as a kid... But now I tell you, I really miss those Peter Parker, those spectacular Spider-Mans, because those were some great little stories. And it wasn't always, you know, 10 issue story arc. It was like, hey, here's your Spider-Man issue. This is what happened, this issue. It's wrapped up. It's done. Let's move on. Next, next issue will be something different. And it's not really done that way now. Everything has to be done in at least a uh, six-issue arc or something. They want to be able to repackage it later as a trade paperback. So that's kind of how they buy those stories. Hey, tell me, six-issue, 12-issue story arc, and then they repackage it, sell it twice. So it's very difficult to get those one-off issues on the shelves these days. And I'm trying to remember what else was with this. Oh, the artwork. Now, the artwork is by Todd McFarlane on this one. And I'm sure, even if you're not a comic fan, you know, you probably know Todd McFarlane from his toy line. And he um, he is the creator of Spawn. The creator of Spawn. And more related to the comics, shortly after this, shortly after working on Amazing Spider-Man, and he actually worked on uh, The Incredible Hulk before he jumped to Spider-Man. So, after this, him and a bunch of other high-profile artists, you know, Jim Lee from X-Men, and then there's Mark Silvestri, and, and uh, Rob Liefeld, of course, they all left, and they formed Image Comics. They broke away. And so, they uh, started started that up, the, the young upstart company that's still there, is the de facto number three. So, this is a Todd McFarlane, and it's interesting how, at the time, I mean, he was definitely the top dog, and he he definitely had an incredible style. It doesn't quite hold up today. People want to see things that are a bit more realistic these days. And 
some of the anatomy and stuff here. You know, yes, he's Spider-Man, but some of it doesn't hold up, I don't think. But, I, I mean, I do like a lot of the dynamic punching and action that is in here. And some of the, the web work he did with Spider-Man was, I mean, those webs were going everywhere. And, boy, he could put some detail into some things. It really, I mean, a lot of it really popped off the page. But I think if you saw this artwork in a, in a modern comic today, you'd be a little bit shocked by it. And I don't think it would it would fly, but... I'm sure his, his, I haven't seen his artwork in a while. His artwork's probably progressed. I don't know if he even draws anymore. I don't I don't know if it's worth it for him to do. Probably not worth his time to do a comic. It would cost way too much for someone to hire him to do a comic. So um, there's that. And not to mention that Todd McFarlane has a uh, history of feuding with people and this particular comic intersects both of those feuds. The first feud is with the, the, the writer of this very comic named David Michelini. And the feud involves the character of Venom. And I'm sure you've seen the Venom movies. If not seen them, you know about them. So essentially Venom is a person in the comic. He's a person who hated Peter Parker. And the reason for that was that, um, well, he, he didn't hate Peter. He didn't know it was Peter Parker. He hated Spider-Man because there was a story coming out and his name was Eddie Brock and Eddie Brock went and ran with this story. And it turned out that the story was wrong. And then Spider-Man was the one instrumental in revealing this true story, which put Eddie Brock out of favor because his story was now false so he harbored this hate for spider-man because it, it really drummed him out of the industry and his career was ruined so this intersects with the the 1985 secret wars for marvel where where all the heroes were abducted taken across the universe to fight a battle against all these villains and the the integral part here is that spider-man needed a new costume and there seemed to be a machine that made costumes, or so he thought. So it spit out this literal black ball, and he took it, and then it spread out all over his body and formed a black black and white costume, which he made it be that way because a, a woman named Spider-Woman showed up, and she had a black and white costume. So he kind of was subconsciously um, affected by that. And so the costume appeared to be magic, it could turn into his regular clothes. He could shoot webbing out of itself. He didn't need his web cartridges anymore. And the thing just seemed to know, like if he wanted to eat, it would just take away that part by his mouth so he could eat. And come to find out later, he didn't know it was alive until it started to affect his dreams, his sleep. It was starting to affect him. He went to the Fantastic Four. He said, I want you to examine this thing. They did. They said, um, did you know this thing was alive? Then he tried to get it off, and he couldn't. It wouldn't come off. And so, Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four... Don't get me started on Fantastic Four, but... But Reed Richards uh, shot the thing with the sonic cannon and blasted it, and it came off of him. They put it into a, uh, a cage or a jar or something. Unfortunately, the thing got out. 
And before they get warned, Spider-Man had found him. Then Spider-Man managed to get rid of it uh, using some sound waves of a, of a bell tower. And it went away. But it, it was a love-hate thing. It, it wanted to be with him, but it hated him for being rejected. That's when it found Eddie Brock. And the two combined in such a way that he became Venom. And I think we were warned that Spider-Man was was just a little bit away from the bonding with this symbiote becoming permanent. And it became permanent with Eddie Brock. And so he became uh, uh, not only stronger than Spider-Man, but he was able to circumvent Spider-Man's Spider-Sense. So uh, he terrorized Peter Parker for several issues before revealing himself. He, like, pushed Spider-Man, pushed Peter into the uh, train tracks, the subway tracks, and, like, Peter had no idea because his Spider-Sense didn't react. And finally, um, the, the feud of Venom, though, is that Venom shows up to Mary Jane. She doesn't know it's not him. All of a sudden, this horrible mouth grows. The mouth grows and the tongue and everything. And she's horrified. And the readers are horrified. Like, oh, God, that's gross. It's gross. Well, that is the issue. So, David Michelini's uh, apparently was saying he created Venom. Now, I don't know if Todd McFarlane himself said anything, but I believe Eric Larson of Image fame, uh, Savage Dragon is a comic that he always did. He claims that Todd McFarlane is the true creator of Venom because he was the one who decided to make the mouth. And that's the only thing that people cared about. Well, I don't know if David Michelini, he may have claimed that he told Todd to draw that. And Todd, I think I believe Todd says that he just decided to do that. Which kind of, in the Marvel style, the artists do have a lot of leeway to just, you know, throw crap in there. So it's always possible. But there was a long-running feud, which I, I don't think is resolved today. I don't think it is. That's just one. And if we look at the Hulk situation, there is yet another feud there. Um... The the writer who was writing that Grey Hulk at the time was uh, a man named Peter David. And so Peter David and Todd McFarlane famously did not get along in Hulk when, when they were working on Hulk together. And so that led to Todd leaving Hulk. And he literally just went down and was like, hey, I want something else. And then they, they put him on Spider-Man. And I think, no, no, he... He moved right over to Amazing Spider-Man. And then after he got into the feud with David Michelini, he went downstairs to Marvel and was like, hey, give me something. I don't care what it is. I just want to write it. And they gave him another Spider-Man book that was just called Spider-Man. But um, when it comes to the feud, I believe that Peter David was writing for... Was it comic book resources? It was it was a comic zine or a comic site. And then Todd McFarlane accused him of giving his new image comics bad press because of, you know, their his personal feelings. And so 
um, the two had a debate in 1993. It was a big debate, and it was advertising the comics. And I believe, like, Todd McFarlane had his shirt off for most of the time. I, I really... I don't remember why. You know, it was it was a crazy time in the 90s. Anything could have happened. But the point was, they had a huge feud, which I still don't think was resolved. I mean, I think uh, a lot of horrible things were said. But, um, which kind of brings me to the whole non- non-outrage comics thing. Is like, man, can we get some uh, uh, of the fun back in these things? So, so... The key here with this Spider-Man is that, wow, it really brings up, it brings up so much, and you think it's just an issue, but it really isn't. It intersects in so many places. When I look at another key thing in this comic that you just don't see anymore, Spider-Man has his um, thought balloons. They don't do thought balloons anymore. That time is done. And actually, these are a little bit late because back in 1985 when Frank Miller did his Dark Knight Returns or was it 86? I can't remember but um, that was the one where where uh, you know it's a 55 year old Bruce Wayne he hasn't been Batman for 20 years uh, Jason Todd was killed and it was like Nobody had seen anything like it. And Frank Miller did not like the thought balloons. He just didn't use any of them. And it was the character's like internal monologue going in the uh, the narration boxes. Something that was, had not really been seen before. And it came to the point where eventually it ended up eradicating those thought balloons. Now when you see thought balloons, they look very silly. And you wonder, like, wow, how did we use these things all the time? And now comics are so intent on, on, uh, you know, not appearing silly. They don't use the thought balloons, even though I really miss those things. Then I think about it, but I can't deny. I think that they were tried to, they tried to use them uh, in Avengers. Um, Brian Michael Bendis might have tried to inject some of those thought balloons back in there, and I don't think it took. And I think this generation of people, they're not used to seeing those. They don't want to see those. So we will not see those. <laughs> but um, I think we'll, we'll wrap this one up. Uh, this, is the, this is one I felt good about. I wasn't sure what I was going to get. But this issue turned out to be real gem now that I look at it. And I'm going to make sure somehow that uh, I'm going to see if I can get this cover or at least a link to this cover in the description of this podcast because you got to see this one you just got to see it so anyway uh, i'm gonna go ahead and get out of here thanks a lot for listening um please please like and subscribe and share if there's something you enjoy and and reach out to me you know uh, i'll leave my social media links as well if there's something you want to want to suggest maybe i know it maybe i don't but anyway until that time i'm gonna get out of here this is not average comics My name is John Garrett. I will talk to you guys next time.